Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Alan Wells. Alan, what's going? It's been a long time, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's good to be good to be back on, and uh, I guess we'll we'll talk some some lightning hockey. We're gonna talk some lightning hockey. I'm I'm excited. I've been waiting to do this for a while. Um, you know, the Lightning, as you well know, have had a quite an interesting season. It started a lot slower than I think people thought, and and, and it felt like maybe just because of the expectations that. Um, they'd set for themselves with their regular season last year. Uh, people expected them to kind of replicate that or just hadn't grown accustomed to seeing them struggle or, or lose as much as they had early in the season. So it felt like the panic beater was kind of unfairly being, uh, ramped up and pressed by people. And, and everyone was citing all those stats about, uh, you know, oh, they're still on the outside looking in and we're six weeks into the season. And I don't know if it was like that actually with fans and with people covering the team or whether they were a bit more level-headed about it. What was the sort of reception to the start of this lightning season when they were like hovering around 500 and sitting on the outside of the playoffs? I mean, I think there was, there's kind of two, two basic groups there. There's, there's sort of one group that is so disinterested in the regular season uh, this year that it, it, it almost didn't matter. Um, and then I think there was people that, uh, there was another group of people that kind of carried over that frustration from the way the season ended last year. And then this, this, this season sort of starting the way it did was, was just felt like sort of more of the same. And I think, you know, that there's always a sort of, you know, kind of reactionary part of the fan base, but there was, there was certainly a lot of frustration and people wanting to see changes, whether that was, you know, on the coaching staff or on the roster or yeah, there were, there was a lot of, a lot of people who were looking at this team, seeing the amount of talent, um, seeing how last season ended, seeing them continue to kind of lose more games than, than you'd expect, uh, from a team with this much talent and, and being frustrated at that. So I think there was, there was kind of a mix, but there was certainly a vocal part of the fan base that was not happy, um, up until a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, it's always an interesting balance because on the one hand, especially in small samples to start a regular season, uh, people can really get overly reactionary and, and panic too much. And then uh, we've seen as the season goes on, and as the sample grows, things typically level out and people both on an individual level and also on a team level kind of revert back to their historical norms. There's certainly going to be outliers at both levels each season. But with this lightning team, I, I just kept kind of preaching patience or preaching caution because it was it just felt like there was too much talent involved to uh, to work itself out. But just I think maybe just because of how last postseason had ended and sort of the the historical uh, context or consequence of it, maybe I think people were led a bit astray because they just thought that there was like something uh, not physically but more so like psychologically or, or mentally broken with the Lightning in terms of like recovering from um, that quick exit at the hands of the Blue Jackets. So I think that was certainly part of it. But uh, I, ju- I just felt like, especially with uh, some of the injuries they had out of the gate and then with the trip to Europe and having these games in hand, like it felt like it was an especially wonky start that was out of their control. So that that was kind of the, the thing for me that, that gave me the most uh, reason for patience or caution. It was just like, let's kind of let them catch up in games. Let's let them get healthy and see what they're look, what they're looking like when they're firing at all cylinders and then reevaluate. And, and here we are. And it kind of looks uh, very similar to what we saw last season. Yeah. And I, and I think even, I mean, after like the first couple weeks of the season, all the, all the numbers were good. All the underlying numbers were good. Um, they started to climb an XG share. They were, they were like a top 10 team for most of the year. I think they're like second in the league now last I looked, but they, they, they didn't have the profile of a non-playoff team for the majority of this season. And, and really the issue that they had was, was goaltending. And then they had some, some kind of bad luck kind of one goal games. They had a, they had a really weird thing where they had a really good goal differential, but a, but a bad record because they were, they were winning blowouts and losing one goal games for a while. And I mean, that kind of stuff tends to, tends to level out. And so, you know, eventually you sort of get what you've what you've gotten from them over the last you know eight games, which is a bunch of wins. Um, and then as the goaltending has come around to at least like reasonable in the in the most recent stretch, then then they've started to to rack up points. And that's that's really you know realistically over the last you know before this winning streak, the the ten to fifteen games before that, the only thing holding them back was was the play in net as much as. Um, some folks don't don't want to hear that, uh, especially about Vasilevsky, who just you know won the Vezina last year and was nominated the year before. Um, that's that's been kind of a contentious point in the fan base and in the media around here. Um, but yeah, that that was really the that was really the 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 one thing that that you could point to in terms of results that was that was kind of driving down their their place in the standings. I don't know if you agree with this, but I've I've given it, um, you know, the more I've thought about it over the years, I feel like the, there's the most confirmation bias when it comes to goalies, especially with um, fan bases where if a goalie is sort of an established proven guy that, as you mentioned with Vasilevsky, has been in the Vesna conversation, is generally considered to be one of the better goalies in the league, when their numbers dip and when they're struggling, it feels like people... Um, 
just as kind of like a defense mechanism, always blame it on what's going on in front of them. And, and just automatically their retort is, oh, well, what's he supposed to do when they're giving up all these chances, even if the numbers don't necessarily back it up? Whereas if it's a goalie who's more unproven, like let's say a Darcy Kemper or something, we immediately just give all the credit to the defense. And if they're struggling, then we just were quick to jump on them and blame them. It feels like with goalies, that confirmation bias of like you head into it, into the exercise, the evaluation exercise with an idea of how good that goalie is and then you kind of work around that as opposed to actually kind of stepping back and and divvying up both credit and blame where it's where it's deserved yeah i mean i think it's 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 the area where people are most prone like even me to um kind of going off the deep end direction or the other and it's it, you know we're seeing it in montreal right now with with carrie price and we saw it um with vasilevsky in tampa and it was it was almost it was, the, the timing was almost comical i i wrote a big article a couple weeks ago about how much he was struggling and how you know just showing pretty clearly that 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 you know in terms of the the our ability to measure expected goals right now that that him giving up way more goals than than you would expect was the thing that was causing them to lose games and then i think they had a national game um that night in canada i think on Sportsnet, and and the the panel was talking about how you know, the defense has been leaving him out to dry and all this stuff. And then you, you go look at the, the numbers and the lightning have like, you know, a top five expected goals against <laughs> rate in the, in the league. And it's just, it, it gets kind of silly with, with sort of the, the people just struggle to kind of, to kind of double check themselves and, and, and make sure that, that you're not sort of fitting, fitting a narrative around the results, you know, and then combining that with that with sort of your preconceived notions to, to arrive at, at what must be happening because especially with goalies, man, that, that performance can change quickly and you can see, you can see one thing for 40 games and, and you see one thing for, for 40 games or a full season with a skater and, and you can have some confidence that, that that means something. You see one thing for 40 games or a season um, with a goalie and you still got to be, you still got to be checking back in regularly to make sure there's still that, that player because the, the performance just fluctuates so much. Yeah, it feels like we talk out of the both sides of our mouth. And I, I love myself into this as well. I think I'm certainly uh, not without blame here. And, and I think the best example of this right now going is probably what's happening with Sergey Bobrovsky in Florida, where the other day I, I tweeted out some of his stats. And, you know, he's the second highest paid goalie this year behind Carey Price. And he's like 55th out of 59 qualified goalies in pretty much every performance indicator we look at for netminders. And a lot of people were kind of like laughing at it and making jokes and like, oh my God, this contract's going to be a disaster. And then there was a certain, uh, you know, combination of Panthers fans, but also just, I think, people who have uh, followed Bobrovsky's work over his years in Columbus that pushed back and they're like, well, what's he supposed to do behind that defense? And I think there's certainly um, some fairness to that in the sense that going from a really underrated Blue Jackets team with a stingier John Tortorella defensive system in front of them to this kind of uh, lackadaisical, uh, offensively oriented Panthers team with a with a porous blue line, of course, it's going to be tougher for them. But at the same time, then, why are you paying a goalie? Uh, $10 million premium to come in there if he's going to post these numbers, right? Like we think of goalies as the ultimately equalizer and we see that whether it's John Hines or Pete DeBoer or, or Peter Laviolette, if you're not getting the goaltending, chances are the coach is going to be the first one to be blamed and, and fired for it. And so the goalie performance can make such a big difference. But at the same time, 
I, why I say we talk out of both our sides of our mouth is because if it doesn't fit our narrative, like we think Bobrovsky's a really good goalie, then all of a sudden it's, oh no, it's not actually his fault. He's not playing poorly. It's the defense in front of him. And, and so there's kind of an imbalance there for me in terms of, um, how we evaluate the position and the performance and sort of who's responsible for what. Yeah. And it's, it's really, um, it's really the cruelest part of the sport is that he's like easily the most important player on the ice in terms of impacting the outcomes of games. Like it's not even close, like by far the most important player is the one that we have like the least ability to have any confidence in, in our abilities to sort of assess their talent level. Right. Like that's a, that's a, that's a really difficult thing from an, from an analysis perspective is to say, okay, this is the most important thing, but also I don't understand it at all. Um, and, and that just leads to, bad takes in all directions and from media and fans and it it leads to bad decisions from front offices because it's a it's a really hard thing to do i think it's i think it's was fairly easy to look at that Bobrovsky contract and say that's not that's not going to go well um we you know there's there's no reason to think that that he's going to be you know a major outlier in terms of his performance as he ages and things like that and and we know that that goalies that that peak tends to be really short and he'd already you know been the best goalie in the league for probably three or four years and so you know you can't expect that to continue much more than a couple years if that um and you know for them to make a huge a huge bet like they did that was always going to go sideways for them i think it's a little bit unfortunate maybe that it that it went sideways this quickly and and maybe he can still bounce back and they get you know a couple years on the front end of that deal that are that are worth it but yeah that, that, that was always going to go bad and it's just gone it's just gone worse than than could even be expected which is unfortunate for them because they have a pretty they have a pretty interesting fun young team and it's it's going to be tough for them to to make much out of that if if they can't get good play in net and and then they have all this money um from a cap perspective wrapped up in a player that they can't really contribute yeah, when they put pen to paper this summer, I don't think they envisioned uh, Chris Drieger playing as big of a role as he's been playing over the past uh, handful of games for them. So we'll see. But yeah, with, with Vasilevsky, I think it was easier to uh, preach patience or, or expect that he'd bounce back just given the age, the fact he's only 25 and, and the physical ability and, and barring some sort of an injury that was unreported. It was all it was very easy to kind of be like, all right, well, you know, he's he struggle. He's struggling if a forward was playing this way. Uh, we chalk it up to an early season struggle with goalies it's kind of tough to um sit through that because of how instrumental they are in the team's success but uh we've already seen over the past couple of weeks that he's started to round into form and, and i wouldn't be surprised at all that if we look up at season's end he has very similar numbers to the ones he had last year despite the hole he created for himself but anyways we'll get more into the actual individual players i want to talk more about the lightning as a whole here and i've been workshopping this idea in my head and um I'm going to present the case to you now. I'm going to, I'm going to test it out. Uh, you're going to be my audience. We're going to put it out into mass consumption. I think it's ready to go. Um, I've been nursing it in my head, slowly workshopping it, but I think it's ready. So I'm going to uh, tell you it and then let me know what you think. I, I don't even know if this is necessarily a huge hot take. But I think this year's Tampa Bay Lightning team, based on what we've seen from them, Pretty much for the entirety of the season, but let's say especially since like mid-November, so the past 20-25 games, I think this version of the Tampa Bay Lightning are better than they were last year. Is that is that a hot take, do you think, or do you think uh, there's some merit to it? I think, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a super, I don't think it's a super hot take. I think there's, I think, I think you could justify that. I think, um, I think the, like the addition of uh, like Kevin Shattenkirk, who, right. Uh, got into like a time machine over the summer or like 
did some like cryogenically frozen something to come back as like a different person this year. I don't, I don't really understand how that happened, but he's, he's having one of the best years of his career. And so that's, that's obviously huge for them on the blue line, which was an area of weakness. Um, and, and the only, the, the only player that they really lost that was an impact player was JT Miller, but they're so stacked at forward that, that he was at times playing on the fourth line last year. Um, and so they they sort of they lost from a position of strength and added you know to a position of weakness and I think maybe that makes them a more kind of well balanced, um, deeper, more more complete team. So yeah, I don't I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I do I do think that I think maybe a, a hotter take um, that I might even that I might say is that I think there's a very high likelihood that this might be the best Tampa Bay Lightning team of this sort of era even looking forward because the the cap situation that arises next summer is going to be such a challenge that i don't know that they can ever get this kind of collection of talent uh back together again so i think and i think that adds to the pressure of this season is yeah this is this is a stacked team they've had they've had two years in a row where they've had um you know they've had Sergeyev on an on entry level deal and and Vasilevsky, you know on an on an early career deal and and some other players Sorelli and Eric Chernak con- contributing on on entry level deals and Braden Point uh, on a lower deal last year and stuff. So all, as all those contracts as all those players kind of hit that next level, it's just going to get harder and harder. And so I think last year's team was really impressive. This year's team is showing I think like you said that they can be as good or even better. That last year's team. Um, was I think they finished the year eighth or something in expected goal share some somewhere in there from a yep. so from a shot met- metric perspective you know a top ten team but but not dominant more more reliant on their finishing ability and and Vasilevsky um, so if they can if they can kind of hang around as more of like a top five team and show improvement and and still have that all that shooting talent and if Vasilevsky can get back to you know at, at least being above average then yeah I think they I think they are a better team than last year. Yeah, I mean, listen, clearly they're not going to, um, despite even with the whole um, they created for themselves to start with the sort of pedestrian record, even if they had started off hotter, they were never going to win uh, 62 games again and have 128 points and take home every single imaginable individual regular season award, basically release nominations. And so, uh, you know, throwing that out the window, I just think that the sort of underlying resume we've seen from them where I think for the year, they're third in 515 shot share, first in chance share. I think they're even first in expected goals the power play is just as good as last year if not a better i actually think they're converting at a slightly higher uh rate in terms of goals per 60 there and and you know if you look even closer i know that it's a bit of an arbitrary cutoff uh from december 1st on and they've had a certainly easier schedule over those games um you know the 13 4 and 1 in those 18 games and they're basically like 57 or 58 percent in all of those five on five underlying metrics and that's a mark of a team that uh, isn't just they're always going to be an above average shooting percentage team because of the talent and because of their playing style and you know what guys like Kucherov do in terms of that passing across the Royal Road and the types of chances they create but for them especially for Kucherov too who's you know not replicating the points he had last year although he's still quite good but he's gotten back and I know you wrote about this recently to more of that play driving um, juggernaut that he had been earlier in his career and so it seems like a much more sustainable formula where even if they 
they do go through a slight rough patch towards the end of the season or heading into the playoffs in terms of not converting as many of their shots into goals. The volume is so much higher than it's been in the past that it does seem like a more sort of potent or sustainable formula to weathering uh, some of those storms, no pun intended, when the bounces aren't going their way. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think some of that is due to um, getting some kind of different player types up in the lineup. I think Anthony Sorelli's emergence and he's been playing, you know, center on the second line. They've had Stamkos on the wing. So him him kind of moving up and being, you know, less of, of that kind of elite playmaker finisher profile and, and more of just that kind of dogged puck hound, get the puck in the all the time um, type of player. I think that's helped them tilt the ice a little more. And I think Andre Pilat, um getting healthy and kind of recovering his form. He's another guy who, who plays just a really solid, well-rounded game and, and can be a play driver on a line with, with guys who are, who are playmakers and finishers. So I, I think there's, yeah, I think that, that, that ability to um, not just finish, but, but control the game and make sure that it's taking place where they want it to take place has been, has been improved uh, has been improved this year and and the addition of, of Pat Maroon at the bottom of the lineup and so they just have they have a little bit of a different profile um, a little less reliant on the on the elite skill um, and and a little bit more ability to to dominate the the territory you know, kudos, kudos to them. Kudos to Julian Brisewell and, and John Cooper for staying the course. Like basically, if your most sort of reactionary move to losing in the playoffs is bringing in a Pat Maroon type who ultimately isn't that consequential, you're really not paying him much. And, and, you know, whatever he gives you is basically foul money and he can still play despite sort of his size and the ability to drop the gloves on occasion. Like we've seen teams, many countless examples in the past, but even most recently, like I'd say what happened to Calgary this summer where they just like freaked out after losing in round one unexpectedly to Colorado and all of a sudden they're trading for Milan Lucic and and they're you know they've got Zach Ronaldo in the lineup and they're doing all this crazy stuff and it's like we've seen time and time again teams uh, just completely lose their minds after after play postseason failures and uh kind of ironically get in their own way as this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy whereas maybe i guess with this team it is a bit easier after you were as dominant as you were last year to sort of talk yourself into bringing it back and talk talk yourself into it just being kind of a fluke and that'll never happen again but it at the same time, I think this could have gone uh, much differently um, under the supervision of sort of the wrong hands or the wrong eyes. Yeah, t- yeah, totally agreed. And I, and I think that there's there's been some really encouraging kind of quotes out of the front office, even going all the way up to ownership, you know, with Jeff Finnick sort of talking about, you know, how how much. Um, you know, luck and variance is in, involved in in the sport of hockey, and how you have to you have to kind of understand what you're trying to do from a process perspective and stick with it. And, and Breezeball has been really open, um, kind of in his discussions about the team and in saying that you know that that they're going that they they have a plan and they're going to stick to it. And you know, a four game no nothing that happens in any four games is going to change <laughs> is going to change that plan. And and it goes all the way down, I think, to the team and to the coach and and uh cooper gave a couple quotes over the last week about how well the team had been playing before this winning streak and how they knew that their results would come and i think he's he's bristled a little bit at some of the the criticism and 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 they i think internally have felt really good about where the team was at all year and 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 weren't necessarily worried and anytime breeze has been asked about you know john cooper's job security he's pushed back on that pretty hard so yeah there's there's been a lot of stuff that's that's come out where they seem 
pretty willing and to acknowledge that yeah there, there's going to be results fluctuations in in small numbers of games and we're not gonna we're not gonna overreact to that I'm really, and this might surprise listeners who listen to PDOcast because it is much more of a, you know, an analytical podcast and we talk about stuff we can't quantify, but that doesn't mean that I'm not fascinated by that sort of behind the scenes, uh, psychological element and getting in the headspace of Cooper and Brisewa and Vinick where it's like, when you bounce back from something like that and then you head into this regular season and you mentioned earlier that that part of the fan base that doesn't care ultimately about this regular season now because they've basically seen the absolute highs last year and what it ultimately netted was zero playoff wins and it was due to disappointment and left everyone uh, heading into the summer with a bitter taste in their mouth. How you sort of bounce back from the perspective of handling the regular season because especially in the Atlantic, you can't really kind of take it for granted with, uh, you know, even Florida bouncing back and then obviously Boston and Toronto there so you have to uh, still kind of go at it full speed but I'm sure even um, the most rational mind would have to kind of recalibrate from the perspective of like well let's maybe use these 82 games as a bit more of a, a sort of breeding ground for different ideas different line combos different experiments obviously we don't want to run guys into the ground I think they've once again done a, a really good job of keeping Hedman's minutes in check, much like last year where he's not playing those 24, 25, 26 minutes per game. It's much more reasonably managed. And so I think from their, from their perspective, I'm sure it's a lot of, obviously we want to win as many games as possible, but there must be a certain element of like taking the long view and playing the big picture and just making sure that you're healthy, that you have all your ducks in a row, you have all the optimal line combinations and you're ready to go come the playoffs. Because ultimately, like we just saw last year, I mean, um, regular season success doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the key things. And it's, this is a hard thing to know, you know, whether this is something they're doing consciously unless they unless they talk about it publicly. But I think one thing I wanted to see from them this year is is they've typically been a team and this is this is usually a good thing to sort of say, you know, we have our approach and we play our game and we think our game's gonna be good enough to win most nights and and we're gonna stick to it. But I think I think there was a sense in that series against Columbus that if, if things start to go go really off the rails for you that it it'd be nice to have a a plan B and a plan C and some different stuff to try and, and to, like you said, shake up your, your, your combinations and, and, and take some different approaches from a systems perspective. And so I think this regular season is a good time to, to mess with your breakouts and, and try some different forechecking approaches and just, just have some stuff in your back pocket. If if you get caught in a playoff series against somebody who seems to, to have your number in the, in the first two games, um, so yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's something that they should should be wanting to do, and it's it's tough to tell if they are, but yeah, that's that that's something that you that you want to see, especially given how how last season ended, and and I think you're right that they've taken, you know, they've always done a good job of of managing minutes and kind of you know rolling their lines and and making sure that you know they're they're not overworking anyone they went through a stretch where what would be considered the fourth line was consistently getting like the the most 5v5 (laughs) minutes for a while they were running that pat maroon yanni gourd line uh for like 15 minutes a night and they they were kind of leading the way with everybody else slotting in around like 12 13 minutes so um 
yeah, they, they've done some interesting stuff. And the other stuff I think I've noticed with them is they've been super conservative with injuries this year. Um, anybody who who takes any kind of a knock during a game, they're pulling guys out. They're they're staying out the rest of the game and maybe missing one more game and then and then coming back. So I think they're I think they're taking guys out for stuff that they that they wouldn't have in the past. There was a, a game where. Um, Stamkos, uh, I don't know, some some kind of lower body injury, but he uh, they he just stayed on the bench for the rest of the game. They just didn't put him back in, and he he wasn't hurt enough to go back to the locker room. But they they weren't taking any chances, and so he just hung out on the bench. Um, and then I think he played the next game. So they they've just been they've been real measured in and how they're using guys, not taking any risks um, from a from a player and and minute and injury perspective, and and trying to get themselves I think in the right spot uh, come the spring. Yeah, I guess it's a lot easier to do that when you have when you're afforded the luxury of the depth that they are. I mean, the fact that they had uh, JT Miller, as you mentioned, playing on the fourth line on occasion or third line for a large stretch of the season, and then he goes to Vancouver and he and he completely blows up playing with Elias Pettersson just speaks to the uh, the overwhelming riches they had up front. But you know they have it once again, and part of it is um, internal development from young players. Part of it is getting healthy. You know, the thing that I've noticed from Cooper that kind of lays credence to my idea of them using the regular season as a testing ground for certain things is we have seen a lot of tinkering and experimenting and he certainly hasn't been, um, you know, shy or, or cautious or, or, or nervous about doing that in the past. But what I've noticed is, uh, you know, like last year, for example, he really seemed reluctant to throw that Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Juggernaut line together. I think they played like 40 or so minutes, five on five total all of last year. And then we saw it, you know, when they were kind of throwing the kitchen sink at Columbus in, in game four. Um, but this year they've already played over a hundred minutes. They were playing a bunch in their most recent game against Vancouver. And I think the, clearly it's not the most optimal way to build out your lineup you want to separate those guys to sort of throw different wrinkles at your opposition and and it helps having a guy like stamp goes who's so versatile from bouncing around to the wing to the center he can play with pretty much anyone i mean he's played 40 plus five and five minutes with eight different forwards at this point and it seems like it's just a rotating cast around him and speaks to his greatness that it doesn't affect him at all but I think being able to put those guys together and, and knowing that you have that in your back pocket is is such an interesting sort of uh, break in case of emergency option for Cooper. And so I love seeing stuff like that where for a team like Tampa Bay, you're not taking the regular season success for granted and you're placed in the Atlantic, but you know you're probably going to be there by the end of the regular season. So why not use this to really kind of test everything out and and figure stuff out? Because you're, you're obviously not going to be able to do so come the playoffs when every single shift and every single game matters. So I like from that approach that it seems like they are handling the regular season the right way. Yeah, for sure. And and they definitely have been going to that kind of nuclear option line um, a lot, a lot more this season earlier in the year. Um, and, and it's been it's been working for him. And that's and and I think Cooper has wanted Stamkos to, to play more on the wing for years. And he tried he tried once a few years ago and it, it didn't go great. And he and he moved him back. And then they they had that line um when Nemesnikov was playing was playing center and and Kucherov and Stamkos were on the wings and that was working pretty well for them um and so now he's he's going to it again this year and Stamkos seems to be maybe a little more um comfortable with it uh a little more kind of bought in and sort of understanding that 
the the coaching staff's goal was just to to put him in positions to succeed and to score goals and and they had that he had a goal against Vancouver where he was on the wing and Braden Point was taking the face off and he won the face off and dropped it back to him and he he scored right off right off the face off so that that had to be a pretty good feeling for him in terms of understanding you know that there's he can have success from anywhere on the ice and 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 like you said he's been he's been playing with a ton of different players he's played played a bunch with Anthony Sorelli and Alex Kalorn and that's not kind of the typical profile of a line that you would think he would play on but it's it's been working for him um and Sorelli's been picking up some assists because of it uh which is great for him yeah does anyone have a more diverse uh natural Star Trek teammate page than uh than Steven Stamkos. It like goes all the way from like Carter Verhage, who I, I guess I should put some respect on his mouth uh, on his name after uh that hat trick he just had, but it's like him and Matthew Joseph and Alex Volkov and then it's like, oh yeah, Braden Point and Nikita Kutrov. And he's basically like both extremes, pretty much every single lineup, every single player on this lineup, if you're a forward, you've probably played at least uh some minutes with Steven Stamkos this season. Yeah, for sure. And and we spent some time talking about like soft skill kind of stuff on this on this podcast. And and I think that that kind of speaks to, you know, that I don't know that they would have done that with Stamkos, you know, three or four years ago when when they would have been very focused on making sure that he was in kind of exactly the right situation um so that he could he could find success. And I think that's part of his sort of maturation and and his him you know, growing into his leadership role as a captain and they feel comfortable pretty much doing whatever with him and, and sometimes putting young players with him um, because they want them to, to get that experience and they want him comfortable playing up and down the lineup with everybody. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's just been, it's been cool to see kind of his role evolve over the years from, you know, sort of a very kind of one dimensional, but a great dimension, but, but very focused on that one thing to sort of doing a lot of different things um, up and down the lineup for the team. Yeah, kudos to him. I think that definitely goes overlooked. It's not necessarily like, the sexiest story, but there's so many players in this league who, whatever they do, like they do one thing really well, and then if they lose it physically or the league catches up to them, they just cannot find another way to be effective or as effective. And all of a sudden, they start playing down the lineup. They're quickly out of the league, and you know, for him to um, handle all this in stride and prove himself to be so. Uh, versatile and so uh useful in many different ways and categories of a player of his caliber who has 60 goal seasons under his belt at this point of his career is really a testament to uh to what a, what a great player he is and and it was interesting because you know now that we're in 2020 there was so much end of decade wrap-up stuff and i really when I was thinking about it, he was a name that kept um sort of popping up in terms of you know you'd think of the obvious guys like Ovechkin and Crosby and Malkin and, and Kane and so on and so forth. But um, it was really interesting to see how he was talked about because I feel like there's no consensus opinion. Maybe it's because of the injuries. Maybe it's because of uh, the fact that his role has changed so much or that he hasn't been as consistent as some of those other guys. But, you know, the highs were so high and now they're they're still high just in a in a completely different way, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's something we talk about um, at the site at Raw Charge a, a fair amount in internally is just how much those how much those injury seasons um, like right and right in the heart of his prime um, how much they kind of depressed the counting stats and kind of removed him from the conversation for extended periods of time and 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 things like that and I I, I think it just it, it really. It, it really hurt him from a, from a historical perspective um, in terms of kind of stacking up because if you look at his numbers, 
you know, um, as a rate, you know, in terms of like goal scoring and, and goal scored above expected. And, and as a shooter, I mean, I, you know, we, we ran an article on the site, um, that Gio wrote last year that I think demonstrated pretty definitively that, that he's been, you know, the best, the best shooter of the kind of the modern stats era. Um, you know, Patrick Lyon is up there, but didn't, quite have as, as much of a track record and, and, and Ilya Kovalchuk obviously but he's he's just got that that super dominant skill set and I I think unfortunately because he he missed so much time it it, it kind of hurt him but it's been it's been great like you said to see this kind of evolution and it's not a late career evolution he's still well within the the part of his career where he's going to produce and and he can contribute a lot and it's just it's great to see that game round out and he's even been playing on the penalty kill and stuff lately a lot of times he'll come out to take the face off because they they trust him to to win that um and then they'll make a change to get a more defensively oriented player on but on but he's just uh it's it's been cool to see him go from being you know like we said that very sort of hyper-focused single skill set player into a a well-rounded contributor who's who's well established as kind of the 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 captain and 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 the leader of the team well and you know i was talking about how kucherov stamp goes point and sort of having uh those three guys together gives cooper this luxury of a a sort of an x factor or if push comes to shove you can throw it together if nothing else is working and i think the other thing that separates this year's lightning team from past versions and even last year's dominant team is the shattenkirk Sergachev pairing which is so fascinating to me you mentioned shattenkirk and sort of this bounce back and rejuvenation he's had i mean on the one hand uh going from playing with i think his three most common uh players he played with with the rangers last year were freddie clayson brendan smith and jimmy vc to sergeyev headman and kucherov that'll certainly do wonders for a player's underlying numbers but he also i think seems healthier and seems um at least more motivated to kind of get another big payday and clearly fell into the perfect spot and and kudos to him for sort of betting on himself and and tactically um coming to a team that could utilize his skill set most but even with sergeyev i mean you know, I think the last time I had you on the show last year, we were talking about how, um, you know, the talent is so clear and he has these moments of brilliance, but he's still a young player and it still feels like the, the lightning were kind of painstakingly slowly bringing him along and spoon feeding him minutes. And he's progressively gone up in year one. He plays 15, 22 per night last year, 1755, now 1908. And there's still obviously room to grow there, but it does feel like he's kind of coming into his own and adding different dimensions to his game and becoming a more well-rounded player and so um, if there was one weakness to last year's team it was kind of um, beyond especially with Hedman banged up um, you know you have McDonough there in the shutdown pairing with with Cernak but having this sort of uh, extra offensive punch from the blue line and, and kind of throwing those two guys out there and strategically using them and and getting a jolt from them as well adds such an interesting different dynamic to this team and, and I think that shouldn't go overlooked because that's a clear difference and kind of is one big reason why I do when I said earlier that I think this year's version is better than last year's it's kind of that dynamic that I think of that really separates them yeah I I think the the Shattenkirk thing is is like you said you know big big change in environment obviously um also the there had to be some health stuff going on because he he at the end and or not at the end but for most of the time in New York it it looked like he he 
couldn't skate at times like he was he was having a hard time getting around and now he gets in tampa and he he looks he looks totally looks like a totally different player um he's he looks like he did at his at his best with the blues um so that's been that's been great to see that's that's a total steal for the lightning and that's that's a product of the organization that they've built and how good they are and same thing with maroon that that's players saying who who aren't as focused on the dollar amount for their contract um at at a certain stage of their career for whatever reason for maroon it's because he's he's coming toward the end for shattenkirk it's because he's in this weird situation where he he needs to sort of rebuild his value so that he can go get a new a new big contract next summer so those are two players who were just because of sort of their situation and because the lightning you know have this have built up this not just a, a good team but a, a good culture and a, a place where where guys want to play um they were able to attract both of them and so that's that's a huge win and i think the sergachev stuff um i think this would have been a different conversation even like six weeks ago um than it is now he is he has just emerged over the last like you know month and a half two months as like really growing into kind of what people thought he might be as as a prospect because even earlier this year, I, I still had a lot of reservations about him um, in the defensive zone, and he still made some some really poor decisions. And I thought he I thought he really struggled in the, in the playoffs last year in that Columbus series. I thought the game got really fast for him, um, and I thought he he really struggled with his decision making. Uh, but the, the last couple months, he has he has just sort of grown into much more of a contributor um, at both ends of the ice. I mean, he he the the this you know his ability to run the power play, um, his contributions in the offensive zone, like that stuff was always obvious. But he's he's really started to read the game better in the defensive zone and sort of understand what his role is. And and he's he's a big physical player, and he started to to utilize that to to take space away from from guys on the other side. And so yeah, it's it's been it's been great to see and and has has me kind of wondering i've i've been keeping my eye on it over the over the last uh few weeks or so but it really has raised or maybe not raised his ceiling but made me think that maybe he's going to get pretty close to what we thought his ceiling was which is which is pretty scary because that's another that's another super super high-end player it's just going to be about uh the contract and stuff next summer figuring out how to make that work yeah, well, they're going to bump into some really uh, fascinating decisions. I mean, if we've learned anything from Tampa over the years and, and good teams, I think sometimes from the outside, we tend to overreact. I guess, you know, Blackhawks have, during all those uh, cup years, found a way to work around it. Clearly, they had to bleed away a lot of talent, but it never got necessarily as dire. I guess having to uh, to give away Table Teravine, who's like top five in primary assists this year for uh, getting rid of Ryan Bickle's contract certainly hurts. But, uh, you know, these teams typically find a way to, to wrestle out of it. But at the same time, there's Sergachev and there's also Sorelli, who I'm not, I, I think that the Lightning will probably be able to get him on a steal of a deal because I don't think his accounting stats are going to explode. But man, I, I know you're part of the fan club as well. I honestly can't say enough, uh, glowing things about this guy. His, uh, what he does out there and sort of how he plays. I think it's only a matter of time before he's a lock in the, uh, in the Selkie discussion. And I'm really curious to see what the next stage of his career is as he gets here into his prime, into his mid twenties, because if he settles in at being this kind of like 
20-ish goal per game guy, especially considering he's not really doing any of it on the power play, that's immensely useful given the defensive ability and how he kills penalties and draws penalties and does all of that on the other end of the ice. But if he has an extra gear to his game in terms of that finishing ability and he can get higher into that 25-ish, maybe even touching 30 goal per season territory, I mean, that would be quite a development for the Lightning and I wouldn't put it past them based on what their player development over the years and his sort of unconventional career arc where when he was drafted he, if you would have looked at it and you would have went like why are they even spending a, a pick on this guy his major junior numbers are aren't really impressive at all and he doesn't really break out offensively until his draft plus two season and then now he's put, put putting up points in the ahl he's scoring 19 20 goals in the nhl so i think the sky's the limit for him and i'm really curious to see what uh the next couple of years look like for him as well yeah, for sure. I think he's a super interesting player. I think he's a very interesting player type in the NHL right now in terms of, um, you know, players who get most of their value from things that uh, don't get counted in contracts. Um, so I think, you know, guys who don't score a lot but are immensely valuable defensively and on the penalty kill, um, I think, like you said, they, they tend to come at a discount. And so we'll see we'll see how that goes next summer. And I, I think your point about his development is is right on, too. Like, I, I keep thinking that we've seen his offensive ceiling and then he keeps every year he comes back better. He his his skating got so much better in the off season. Um, and he's able to contribute more offensively because of it. He's, he's gotten a, a bunch of breakaways this season. He, he doesn't finish a lot of them unless he like, you just like crashes into the net with the, with the puck and brings himself the goalie and the, and the puck in with him. Um, but yeah, if he, if he, if that finishing ability, like if, if he got to the point where he was scoring, like you said, like 25 to 30 goals, um, he, he would be like a top line center because of the, the, the way that, all the things that he can do in the other areas of his game. Um, and he's, he's like already kind of getting close to that level. Like he's, he's a lock second line center. He's, he's like a high end second line center. And, and if, if, if the goal scoring and, and point production came, he would, it, it would be the, it would be the brain point thing all over again, where, where all of a sudden the lightning have another one of these kind of top tier players. I, I don't know that I see that just because I, I don't know if the hands are there, but I don't, right. I'm, I'm done. I'm done doubting <laughs> uh, Anthony Sorelli. If he decides that he wants to score like 25 goals or 28 goals or whatever in a couple of years, then he'll probably do it because everything else he's decided he, he wants to do he's done <laughs> yeah i don't see the 20 20 percent shooting percentage 40 goal season coming from him certainly but i think just given his ability to uh use his kind of speed and smarts and tenacity to get to the front of the net and on occasions into the net quite phys- quite literally physically um i think if the volume's there and you mentioned he's playing a lot more with like Kalorn and Stamkos now and they're sort of de facto second line, uh, even without the power play usage, I think, I don't think the hands will ever get there. I don't, I don't really see the finishing ability, but man, what a, what a sort of added benefit that would be for them if you could put that all together. And, and I certainly wouldn't put it past him or the lightning to do so. So, uh, consider him another sort of, uh, you know, third round pick or whatever that winds up blossoming into this star. And ultimately, as much as we're going to concentrate about their, uh, their cap problems, it's, it's, it's quite a good problem for them to have. And, you know, as we spin this ahead and close out the discussion, I think that's one of the, uh, fascinating things for me as well to see how they approach this uh, both this season and this summer and beyond because 
they also have this sort of uh, extra card to play now with that first round pick from the Canucks that they got from uh, for JT Miller. And, you know, the Canucks don't make the playoffs this year. All of a sudden it becomes an unprotected first for 20 for the uh, 2021 draft. And, and that's quite the asset to have given the Canucks uh, propensity for finding ways to lose in recent years. And so, uh, you know, they have their first, they have that. And, and they do have some wiggle room here. I think they're, you know, considering Vasilevsky's extension kicks in next year and they're going to have to pay Sergeyev and Sorelli. I think they're pretty, uh, you know, cognizant of not taking on any future money, but I am very curious to see whether there is some sort of an added move if it presents itself at this deadline. I, I just, the issue is I don't, don't really you know there's certainly not a not a, a perfect team there is always ways to improve i'm just not sure what that sort of uh extra piece would be that would command such a such a premium asset going back in return but as we've seen in the past they uh they're not unwilling to to mix it up at the deadline if the opportunity presents itself for sure yeah i i, I wouldn't be surprised if they it, it, i think a lot of you know how they approach the deadline is is going to depend on how some of these younger depth forwards kind of progress over the next few months. You know, if if Carter Verhage and and or you know Mitchell Stevens, you know, really settle into regular you know everyday contributors that that they're totally comfortable with with rolling into the playoffs with. If not, then they they may actually look for you know they may actually look for for forward depth at the at the deadline and and i i do think it you know whatever they look for at the deadline i i think it's going to have to be um expiring expiring money or um a player that they think they can move again in in the summer because it, it's just gonna it I, I think you know there's been a lot of sort of people saying for a while now that the, the lightning cap situation is is going to be a problem and they're not going to be able to navigate it and then every summer they seem to find a way out but i, I think for those of us who who follow the team very closely it, it, the last summer always seemed solvable it was pretty obvious that the callahan contract was going to come out was going to come off somehow um and that they would sort of and that you know the braden point contract would come in you know, at a, at a reasonable number, and they they would figure out a way to make it work. I think next summer is the first time where it really gets bad, and I don't see any easy outs. Um, they've got the Sergeyev contract, they've got the Sorelli contract, um, they've got a bunch of other depth that they need to fill in around the margins. I think for sure um, Alex Kloren is going to go next summer. I don't see how they how they get through the summer with him, and so his sort of explosion this year from a scoring perspective might be very well timed. <laughs> um, in that regard, that he could he could be a player that gets moved, you know, at, at the draft or or at some point over the summer to clear space. And I don't even know if that's enough. They they may need to move one more player. Um, you know, whether that's you know somebody waving their no trade like like Tyler Johnson maybe or or um, even one of the younger players whether they. We we had discussed internally at, at Raw Charge over the past couple months about maybe the possibility that Sergachev would be kind of the the odd player out, but that looks that looks like you can't do that now because he's sort of become so good that that you have to figure out a way to keep him. So I don't know if it's if it's Chernak maybe or or what, but yeah, the the cap situation really does get ugly, and there's not a obvious kind of you know, um, like buyout candidate or, or any, any big contract that is, that is going to be moved. So this, this is the summer where it really starts to hurt, I think. And they start losing depth, um, like reliable depth players like, like Kalorn or, or Tyler Johnson. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, there. I mean, yeah, those are like luxury items for them, and I think you'll always find a, a market for those guys because, uh, as we see time and time again, that uh, you know, good teams stay good for a reason, and bad teams stay bad, and and for whatever reason, um, there's certain teams in this league that just don't really understand sort of you know leverage or opportunity cost, and it's like, oh, this is you know this guy plays in a good team, let's just go get him, and it's like, oh, well, you can have him, you can make them pay you to take him, like it's they're kind of in a bind here, and and uh, now that's not how it works, but I, I think like you know this year. And then I'd say, uh, you know, the next two years, basically the, the entirety of Braden Point's deal where he's basically making like 50 to 60% of what he's actually worth in the open market and he'll probably get on his next deal. That's sort of the window here. I think this is going to be their best or I guess deepest team just before they have to make some of those tough decisions. But by the time that point contract comes up, you're basically going to have a ton of money invested in a bunch of guys who are already basically in their thirties. And, and that's going to become uh, an entirely different can of worms. But you know, that's, that's a, that's a dilemma for, for another day. I think if you're saying we're going to get another two to three kicks of the can with this group, it's going to be a, you take your chances with them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's I think it's just that it's 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 the reality of a hard cap league. You know, if you draft and develop well enough and and players produce, then eventually this is this is what happens. You start you start losing depth and you have to hope that you're you have young players who are ready to fill those roles. And then eventually, if you if you end up you end up with a lineup that's top heavy and then they they age and that's the that's the competitive cycle that that's that's how it works so um it's about how well you can manage that and how strategic you can be and and i think the lightning have shown at least that they're that they're conscious of that stuff and that they're trying to make they're trying to make good decisions in that regard so it'll be interesting to see them um you know compared to a team like like chicago who maybe wasn't um that forward thinking in that way it'll be interesting to see you know what tampa's approach is and and how they how they kind of handle those challenges Hmm. well i'm really i'm really going to be following this very closely i think the atlantic is going to be so fascinating i'm not writing off the fact that either uh tampa bay or toronto could even catch the bruins at this point because both of those teams have been so hot and the bruins have been sputtering a bit that they're within striking distance now but i just i love the idea i find it so comical if it stays this way where Leafs, Leafs fans will be celebrating that they're staying away from the Bruins in round one and they'll be viewing that as a victory and, and they're just going to bump into this Tampa Bay Lightning team, which you could argue is even better and, and, uh, could pose its own set of problems. And, and I, I think that would be just a, uh, a, a very delicious storyline to follow from, uh, from the outside looking in. Yeah. And I think that would be a lot of fun hockey oh, so too. Good. Um, those, those two teams, um, I think Tampa has been a little, you know, Tampa is a little better defensively than maybe they, they, they have been at times in the past, but it's hard with, with that much sort of talent to, to be disciplined and to not, not turn it into a track meet. So there's going to be, there's going to be some goals scored in a, in a series like that. And it would, it would definitely be fun to watch. All right, Alan, let's, uh, let's get out of here. I think that's enough for the lightning for today. Uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting this and, uh, we can have you back on before the postseason. but, uh, plug some stuff. What, uh, what are you working on? Where can people check out your work online? Um, so people can find everything at, at raw charge, um, where the, the lightning blog for, for SB nation. Um, so that's where to find all my articles, all the articles that everyone else writes. Um, that's, that's in my opinion, the best, best place to keep up with, with what's going on in Tampa. And then if you want to follow me personally, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, uh, at loser points. Um, but that's, that's not recommended. Uh, it's bad <laughs> over there. Uh, just, just follow the site account at, at raw charge. That's, that's much better. I give yourself some credit. I enjoy following 
Alan Loser Points, and I highly <laughs> recommend everyone listening to this podcast does as well. Uh, this was a blast, Alan. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.